Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighborhood watchmaker, Rob Nuds, and the friendly neighborhood jeweler calling in from Amsterdam. Today we are joined by a born and bred native Parisian, the head of the very exciting new brand Trilob, and his name is Gautier Massonneau. How are you today? Hello, guys. How are you? Excellent. Welcome, Gautier. Great to have you here. I'm a huge fan of uh, Trilobe. Thank you. We just got schooled because we used to say Trilobe. And uh, we just got schooled on our French. Again, Rob, I, I swear, you and I need to go do a crash course French, dude. Uh, we've both had a crack at it so far, and I know that we're both wrong. I did something weird with it, and you definitely hung too long on that B. So let's get the man himself to tell us exactly how we pronounce it properly, so everyone knows. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for... For having me, uh, yeah, indeed. No, no, you, you, you got it perfectly right. Then uh, the, the the name of our maison that we that we are building is uh, is Trilob, which is a, which is by the way a reference to a, it's it's a shape of architecture that you find all all around uh, I would say uh, Europe and Mediterranean up to uh, to, uh, to Asia actually. It's the shape that we use as the symbol of the brand. It's a universal shape. Uh, it's named a trilobe and uh and it's a little uh, it's a little uh, hello to my uh, my parents who are architects by the way I, I i always say that there was not enough space to put my entire name on the on the dial <laughs> i had to find something else you know you don't build the brand yourself you we were, we're 17 people now it was quite important for me that the name of the brand is an umbrella under which you know each and every individual in the company can identify can be proud of rather than the name of a single person. So it's it to be more welcoming. I see, yeah. It is certainly that, yeah. When I was a watchmaker myself, I was dreaming of starting a brand one day, and I, I gave my imaginary brand a terrible name. I called it Manlin, because I grew up in Manchester, was born in Dublin. But the less said about that, the better. But the logo, the logo was almost the same as your logo, and I pulled it from... I think it was the corner of a rose window in the Notre Dame Cathedral because I was obsessed yes. with the repetitive motif featuring in, in ecclesiastical architecture, which was something very close to my heart. And now here you are with this wonderful brand and this wonderful logo hailing from the city of said cathedral. So yeah, I'm glad to see it. Thank you. That's good. I just changed your name, but... <laughs> well, you did a better job. At least your name is a little less cringeworthy than the one I came up with. But these three points of the logo, do they stand for anything? Because, you know, brands often have like three core values. What would you say Trilob's three core values are? First of all, would be creativity. That's, that's the top notch. Of course, we, we try to align that with, uh, with quality. That's for sure. And then we, we like to take step aside. That's, that's, uh, that's another thing. It's funny. I was, uh, was listening this, this morning, um, about a podcast on, on, on French radio about, uh, about brand creativity and uh, how you need to, to step aside to, to, to put your brand in, in contradiction to activate the creative parts of your, of your, um, uh, of your brand. And, and they made, a, they made an analogy with, uh, which I, I find interesting with, I, I'm not a football player myself, but, um, they talked about how futsal was born in, in South America in the 60s, for a, a bit earlier than that, actually. And the, the fact that the, the, the ball doesn't have a, a strong bounce and that futsal players had to be super, super, you know, agile and much more creative in the way they played so that the, the, the futsal worked. And then they went playing into classic football. Um, and that's that in the 60s, 70s. And that's why 
Brazilian players were, were so good at the time is because they, they learned football with constraints, with, you know, a different view so that they could become creative and that they, they won so many World Cups. Sorry for the little, uh, for the little aparte. Anytime you want to take a detour down a sporting route, Alan and I will follow you. We, we are both, well, at least Alan's very keen on sneakers and I'm very keen on sports. So we're, we're with you there. Alan, what do you have to say? It's interesting that you talk about the bouncing of the ball because I know that you are historically a banker as well. And I'm curious if you read the ball, the second bounce of the ball by Roland Murat Cohen. So he applies that analogy you just explained of being okay. creative by predicting where the ball bounces after the second bounce. Okay. Also forces you an investment strategy and, and a corporate strategy. But I'm deviating. So, Gauthier, <laughs> you only started Trilobe yeah. seven years ago, I believe almost eight. No, 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 not that, not that far away, actually, because uh, the, the, I mean, there was, of course, uh, a few year, years of, uh, of R&D, of research, of um, prototyping, of failures of the prototyping and so on. But um, the official launch of the brand was in... Uh, December 2018, so we will be, I don't know if we can celebrate, but we will be celebrating um, uh, at the end of the year, the, the fifth anniversary of the brand. So you're, so you're born and raised Parisian, parents are architects, you have yeah. an economics background. What made you go into watchmaking? Born and raised Parisian, but uh, I, I spent a lot of time uh, outside, of, uh, outside of France, outside of Paris. I um, Spent a few years in uh, in Tokyo, uh, the early 2010s, uh, which was a quite interesting experience. Then a few years uh, in the Middle East as well. So, um, so I guess it's it's uh, you know the, again the creativity comes from um, you know the the mix of, of influences that you can uh, that you can meet in your in your different journeys. I would say. When did you make that pivot? Um, after traveling, studying different schools and working in finance? It started as, a, an, as an extremely uh, personal project because I, you know, I wanted to, to get my first watch, hands on, on, on my first watch. And uh, I, I really wanted to have something which was very different, uh, very different, yet quite classical. There was a, a watch I, I, I loved at the time. I, I still do love that watch, but... Uh, which is the, the Zeitwerk by uh, Langenzen, uh, which was slightly out of my reach financially. Um, though I, I, I was attracted towards, you know, watchmaking that, of course, told time that was well made, but that, that told a very different story. I, I did not want the, the, the three hands classic ones. Uh, so I told myself, you know, I have, I have this idea of, of seeing time differently. Why not... Uh, reversing the referential of reading time instead of having the, the, the hands which are moving and the time which is fixed. Let's, you know, let's liberate this time. Let's have it uh, do some sports, move a bit uh, and, and put the indicator um, fixed. And that's that's how the, 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 the idea was born. And that uh, I took it, of course, further by uh, by trying to do this watch myself at the beginning. I'm, I'm I'm not at all a watchmaker by uh, by education, so I, I tried to educate myself on that, 
tried to do it myself. I, I thought, you know, it was going to be um, an easy walk in the park at the beginning. Of course, it took uh, a bit longer than expected. And uh, I uh, had to, you know, seek for uh, help outside of my um, uh, my classical perimeter, I would say. Um, but that's, that's how I, I jumped into watchmaking. Uh, not because of a long-standing passion for watches, I would say. More uh, because I, li- I like to do things myself. I like to do them differently. Uh, and when I cannot, you know, find what, I, what I'm looking for, I like to, to do it myself. So, you know, I was yeah looking for something else, I would say. You took one hell of a difficult route just because you like doing things yourselves. I mean, for those of us that have fallen down the watchmaking rabbit hole due to our almost organic passion for it yeah the idea of choosing it when we could have chosen anything seems almost madness now because it's a torturous existence if you really throw yourself into it wholeheartedly as i'm sure you know now so what have you found the hardest thing about building a brand and having to maybe rely on other people other than yourself i would say there are, there are several obstacles uh, you know the few few of them uh, are to you know, convince partners of a vision that um, that is very different from what they what they do. I'm talking about manufacturing partners, and and you know that that's uh, sometimes uh, it, it used to be a challenge. I don't, I, I wouldn't say it is anymore. But at the beginning, it was clearly a, clearly a challenge, and um, and you know we we're, we're building a trailer, we're building a, a story. Um, which is a bit aside to the classical Swiss manufacturer story. Um, it was a gamble at the beginning. We were, we were super glad we did it, uh, and 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 it's something that that works very well for us. But at the beginning, to say you know I'm not a watchmaker, I'm not Swiss. We're going to make uh, watches uh, differently. We're, we're a French house. Um, wait. We we heard a few uh, you know uh, a few rumbles and the voices of, of partners at the time, uh, <laughs> but but I'm, I'm certain now we know we made the right choice, the right decision, uh, because we we do watches very differently. We also want to have a message which is very sincere, very coherent, and that has to be different at 360 degrees, and that implies you know doing doing things ourselves as well, doing that in Paris. Uh, we we have our, our team of watchmakers now, uh, well uh, well established in Paris, where we where we make the watches. Um, uh, and by uh, by the way, it's it's in Paris, not for the for the cocorico side, for the you know for the sake of being French. It's more that you know we we like to do things homemade, and home happens to be in Paris. I see, I see. And of course, you have complete control over what you do in house. And you mentioned that you ran into some resistance when you took your novel idea to your manufacturing partners. Now, I assume that you're talking mostly about movement manufacturers because that's really where the main point of difference is. Can you tell us exactly what kind of alternatives they suggested? Did they try and push you down a more traditional route? A little illustration is that um, when uh, you know the, the first prototype prototypes we had, um, you know, our... our the, the mistake I made at the time is that I did not dig, uh, you know, deeply enough into the technical construction, so that uh, it allowed 
constructors, uh, our partner manufacturer, to apply um, you know usual principles that they use everywhere. For example, um, you know when when we when we had the watch finally assembled, working, I thought it was it was uh, you know super thick when when you when you took the watch the, the first batch, and it was like I, I don't understand why there is so much space between the dial and, and the, the, the front glass. And what what the technical bureau told to me was that no, no, it's normal for it's for the hands to have you know the ability to um, to go uh, from from the dial to the top to, to to move actually, so that the hands can uh, can have this tolerance of moving. And uh, I responded, well, you know, but we, we don't have hands on this watch; it's not needed. <laughs> You think they would have noticed at some point, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, because your hand, when when you move, it, it can go on a, on a Z axis. It, it can go uh, uh, from down to up. Mm. You need to allow this this mobility, but uh, there is no hands here. And you know, they're like, ah, yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> of course, it's a fair point. Right. So we learn from this that you have to be either entirely mainstream in the construction of your movements, or very very clear about what it is that you're hoping to achieve with your novel construction i have to say the end yes. result the design of it is absolutely beautiful and who did you work with to manufacture this movement we did all the, the I would say prototyping phase with uh, uh, jean-francois mojon from cronod uh, well-established uh, swiss developer and now our, our partner manufacturer is named le cercle des horlogers just nearby uh, la chaux de fond and they do take care of the current manufacturing of our, of our movement. Did you personally have a lot to do with the aesthetics of this movement? Or was that something that was suggested to you from a, a mood board, for example, and you make, made your selection? Uh, no, 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 no. It's uh, 100% in-house constructed by, uh, by me. Uh, from, yeah, the, 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 the way the, the wheels will be, uh, will be you know, put together to, to the, the, the bridges design, uh, the platine, the... Everything is um, is is from from a trilobe perspective because I, I did not want to have you know it's it's a watch that needs to tell our story from the front side but also from the back side so that that, that was key for us that this movement is is really the, the reflection of our of our DNA uh, and, and again on the movement construction if we listen to our partner manufacturer we would have uh, and it's it's not a critic but it's uh, the fact uh, the, the construction would be the you know the classic movement construction where everything is a bit scattered around where there, there is no uh, I would say um, the, the way we did construct our movement is more of a, of a brutalist type of architecture um, construction mm -hmm. you know you have straight lines horizontal ones vertical ones um, so it's more constraints because you need to find ways to you know fit everything uh, but this way when you look at the movement you know a hundred percent and and straight away that it is our movement it's not it looks like nothing else and i mean that very straight armed balance cock is probably the most striking element of it were you tempted to go all the way across the movement and make it into a balanced bridge for a bit more symmetry or did you like this kind of right loaded style that you've got with the text on the left and then most of the mechanics on the right uh, yes uh, i mean even though we did try as uh, we did try sorry to um, uh to have it uh as, as a fully uh, transversal bridge uh, but the no the aesthetic was not ideal I would say so uh, 
Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. And it, of course, it leaves plenty of space for the regulating pins and stud to be wherever they need to be. Talking about the development yeah. phase, you said that you developed it with Chronode, but now you have it manufactured with, oh my goodness, I can definitely not pronounce it. Le cercle des horlogers. The Chronode phase was really on the on the display side. We used at that time as a, as a motor, we used a, a very classic, very strong uh, truck, which is the... Uh, uh, ETA uh, 2892 movement. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had more of a modular or a dial side complication to Absolutely. form the display. Uh-huh. Okay. Completely. Uh, and that allowed us to, you know, validate this first phase, I would say, and then uh, have a, a very comprehensive and fully integrated movement, uh, which which has been um, uh, engineered after the drawings that, that I made, which has been, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, put so that it works uh, by, by Le Cercle des Horlogeries. And how long did it take for that development process with Le Cercle des Horlogeries to actually come to pass? Yeah, you almost got it. Almost, yeah. I'll keep going, I'll keep trying, but after the fifth time, I might get somewhere near. But okay, you know what I'm asking you. So how long did it take? So about two years. Two years, okay. And did they start with something like a, a base caliber of their own? Because I know that Chrono generally uses like the C102 when they want to do you know, proprietary calibers for other brands, or was this completely from scratch because of your demands, your very specific style? Yeah, it's, it's really from scratch. It's uh, nice. It has to be on some scratch uh, development because we... Everything is different in this scratch in terms of, um, you know, of, of torque that you need to have the, the, the rings turning, um, in terms of, uh, you know, the intrication that uh, you have between the rings and, and the, the wheel train. Can you say wheel, gear train, wheel train? Yeah, a gear train would normally say, yeah. So so you have to start with a blank page of paper. Of course, um, it, it's still watchmaking. I mean, you know, you, you put a watchmaker in front of this movement. After a few hours, it'll understand how to, you know, assemble it, disassemble it, and and, and, and take care of it. But um, it's still wheels and pinions, of course. Uh, but but the construction is, is, is very specific. Good. Yeah, so when I listen to you, First thing, as an uh, economics guy myself, is oh my gosh, you set the bar so extremely high. This is so capital intensive. How did you go about? Did you write a pitch deck, and did you find investors, or how did you even start? Because th- you put it at such a actually a hotologerie level that it's very capital intensive. We got helped by uh, you know friends, fools, and family. I would say. Uh, but, uh, we also, um, we try to be smart in the, in the choices we make. We, we, we have, um, a high level of quality, um, at, at, at price positioning that we consider, uh, fair. And this, this, this will be allowed by the fact that we, for the, for the, um, the models that we have, we use the same basis of movement that we developed. Of course, the, the Unfold Journey one that we developed afterwards, last baby, I would say, is, is a bit more complex and, and we had to tweak things on the movement, a lot of things, actually. Um, but this way, you, you can also be, you know, more reasonable in terms of, of CapEx and, and development costs. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's one point. Uh, and I, I also, I'm, I'm a bit of an old style, uh, style sorry, capitalist. I don't believe in business that lose money. Uh, you know, I have a lot of friends in, in the tech industry, uh, and and where where I buy the, you know the, 
tu sais, de, de, tu sais, de, de, de KPI of success is the, the amount of money that you raise and, and how much you lose at the end of the year. Um, I consider that, you know, what, what we're building is a, is a business for the, is a maison for the, for the very long run or very long term. And, and you cannot build a solid house if you don't have, um, you know, proper economic development. So we try, we, we're not going too fast. That's one thing. Um, you know, we, we, we choose not to open some markets, uh, because uh, that would imply, you know, uh, buying more stock, being more at risk from, uh, financially as well, or, or need to, you know, seek the help of, of financiers. So we are, we're a bit cautious on that. Because I'm, I'm, I'm quite convinced that on the long run, that's the good strategy. So would you say today, five years down the line or seven years down the line, you guys are still independent? We, we will see. But what, what, what I value a lot with independence is that, uh, I think it's what I value about independence is that it's, it's, uh, it allows you to be, you know, you, you don't, you don't have any restraint in terms of creativity. The day you have someone that tells you, ah, you know, I think the market is going for, you know, blue or green watches with uh, integrated uh, bracelet strap, which is might be the case. Um, you know, you're not, uh, you're not going to be creative. You're just following the lead, and I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that our strength is that you know we're not following, a, we're not following. A, fashion because we want to build products that make sense today but that will also make sense in a hundred years and uh, and that for the, for that I, I think independence to some degree has a as a lot of value you know we don't we don't test our products uh with customers you know we we draw what we like and and you know if, if people like it that's that's great if people don't for as many reasons as they as they want, that's that's not an issue. That's it's good actually. I mean, it is your greatest strength to be independent and to be able to carve your own destiny, as it were. But of course, when you're on your own, you're more vulnerable, and you have to do everything yourself, and you have to shoulder all the burdens of, of growing a company. So, what's that been like for you to actually go out there and take the whole development process by the scruff of the neck and build a community? How have you done that? lot of work but before that uh, to finish on the independent side you know you you can find of course um not so much independent companies that that still keep being super creative in, i'm thinking of course about now francois Peljourne, uh, in which um, chanel has a as a as a as a fair stake um it, it still super creative of course and i, I think they will still be uh, the next decade or decades, uh, and you take uh, you, you take a house of uh, jewelry like Bouchon, uh, which I which I admire a lot because of creativity that they have. Uh, it's not the fact that they are, they are owned by caring that makes them not creative. So you know it's it's, it's also about finding the, the the right balance, of course. Um, but yeah, it, it takes more work, I would say, because you don't have the same means. Uh, you do a lot of things yourself. You know, at the, at the beginning, it, it's funny because when you start a brand, uh, you try to reassure yourself by finding partners that, you know, will bring you either credibility or 
Yeah, that will reassure you. For example, we when we started, um, we started working with a, with a Paris-based uh, communication agency, uh, and and you know they told us they, they really seduced us at that time because you know they, they they told us all the the great client names that they they had account uh, for. You know they they, they dealt with Cartier with like super impressive brands and so you're impressed and you're like okay they are going to take care of my communication it's going to be awesome you know so you're reassured and and actually uh it was a, it was a, an absolute disaster because it's the type of companies that do not take the time to instill themselves with the the dna of your brand um with with what you breathe for and and they, it's it's funny because the the message they wanted us to carry was properly a lie. Actually, it was to to tell a story which did not reflect who we were and what what we wanted to be. And so we we quickly we we fired them, of course. And 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 what we do from the beginning is that we are sincere, uh, and we just say what we are. So you know what we love? We love art, we love architecture, we love to, to take step aside to do things differently. And just saying that is, um, is uh, I think, uh, a much more uh, interesting message to our community. Um, and, and so why I'm saying that? I'm saying that because um, when you have a lot of money to spend, it's, it's very easy to spend money. And you, it can reassure you, you know, because you, you spend huge budget on, on a communication team, on a community management team, on a designer team, which are all exterior guys. Um, but I don't think, I think it's a, it's a mistake for, for small companies like us, by the way. Um, and it forced us to find the competencies to do that ourselves, to internalize that, to find the right uh, talents and to hire them. Uh, so it's much more work because you need to find the guys, you need to trust the guys, uh, guys and girls, of course. Uh, and um, But in the end, it, it, it allows us to be independent as well in this way because uh, we're always talking about what's an independent house. Uh, is, it, is it when we talk about financial ties? That's, that's one aspect. Um, but the independence is also, uh, is, to me, on the top, actually, uh, most and foremost is uh, is the the fact that your creativity is independent, and and so that means that today, of course, we create ourselves all all, all of our designs, a hundred percent from from the start. That hasn't changed, but we create a hundred percent of our content. So we shoot, we write, we make our own three um, D videos. We have three motion designers, for example, in house. Um, we make our own sounds, you know, we have, uh, all people who make the, the, the sound in-house. Um, and that, that to me is, 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 is really the key to, to true independence. Because when you see, um, houses that externalize everything, you know, um, is that really independent? You know, maybe the, the, the ownership is independent, but if you externalize, uh, you know the music you make, the videos you make, the drawings you make, <laughs> the design of your showroom, and uh, 
and everything else, uh, I'm not sure it's being independent, actually. Very interesting to hear your approach and your philosophy of uh, independence, which I think is the right way to go about, because the most important independence you need, I guess, in any métier d'art or creating art objects and watches are mechanical art and you make very poetic and philosophical uh, time capsules, time devices, or actually art. Um, so I, I'm totally with you. Unfortunately, in the industry, we uh, differentiate independent or not if they're part of a big group, which you just mentioned as well. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's the right case to tick, actually. Again, uh, again, uh, watch my kings, but other, um, other domains. It's, it's the same for the wine, you know. Um, you have a great climate in, in Burgundy that are owned by, you know, financial groups, but the Everything is made in house from the from the choice of the casks, from the the, the choice of the vinification process for for everything else that makes them to me independent and much more interesting in terms of, of wine tasting compared to a guy who's uh, you know who's the owner of the uh, of, of the of the chateau but will try to seek the help from all the exterior guys to to, to have the product but it's it's a product which is not the reflection of you know who you are really while i'm listening to you the the first thing that comes to mind is i wouldn't be surprised if chanel has not knocked on your door a long time ago because what is their mo their modus operandi they take minority stakes add behind the scenes but don't intervene in the creativity mm. and the independence of the company why they invested minority stake in fp jour yeah yeah belarus which hardly anybody talks about Kenisi, while listening to you, I don't know why, obviously because Chanel is also French and Parisian, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me. As, as they say in uh, notes of cards, uh, you may certainly say that, but I could not possibly comment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. To be continued, on the, I'm warning you on the next time you come on the show, we're going to do a deep dive on that because we have so much ground to cover on the, on the first time you're on the show. Yeah, of course. We, 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 will, we will dissect that later on. Um, what I wanted to know also, you have a complete new approach to watchmaking and that has been proven everything you do. I n know you guys have in Paris a pied de terre, you call yeah. it the cercle, cercle. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But you guys also have a global network of old school retailers. Why didn't you go full D2C, direct to consumer, like the majority of new watchmakers and new watch brands? The watches we make are, as you see, quite different, um, and some sometimes they are not that straightforward to appreciate and understand. And benefiting from the help of people that you know they know their customers, um, they know how to talk about a watch. Uh, to us, it, it's it's very important because. We're, again, we're, we're building a brand on the long run. And to do that, I'm 100% I'm, I'm convinced that you need to, da to do that with partners. You cannot do that alone. Uh, and you cannot possibly cover, uh, have, a, have a worldwide coverage uh, without the help of, of people that do know, you know each of their market. Uh, you, you, you cannot address and explain you watch the same way you will do in uh, in Amsterdam as as you will do in uh, in Kuala Lumpur. I think, even though the message in the end to be delivered is the same, 
but there, there is a way to do it. There are, you know, there are ways. There are, um, and and we're we're fortunate to have a network that will of course continue to grow, but that today is a good reflection of, of who we are and and who are good ambassadors. Uh, we we need ambassadors, you know, that are proud to 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 be partnering with us and. Um, you know that allows us to really meet the guys who love who love the brand. We did that recently in London and in in Milan, and it was, it was super cool to you know meet meet your clients, your end clients, meet your uh, aficionados, meet people who you know want to encounter you, and, and and to do that, you it's it's a bit old school again, but um, it's it's a product that needs to be physically seen. I, I, I'm, I'm you know, I'm confident and, and proud of the of the photos and and so that we can display on on, on digital uh, media. But usually, when you have someone who sees or watches, is always like, okay, I, I liked it as a, as a picture, but now I see it. It's uh, it's it's just another dimension. And because sometimes it's the contrary. You know, you see something in picture and. Uh, and it's like the, the bedroom uh, you rent on Airbnb. And then when you arrive, it's like, ah, it's like this. Um, and then the, the good thing for us is that it's usually the contrary uh, because we have products that are, yeah, that, that need some explanation and that needs to be felt in the flesh to be appreciated, I, I believe. Even though we do develop digital uh, retail as well, and it, it works well, I must say, to my surprise, Uh being uh, being French, uh, uh, you know, I think Latin countries are less inclined to buy uh, digitally objects of, of a certain price. Um, the Anglo-Saxon and, and, and Asian world is is more advanced on that, so it's, it's a good surprise for us. I want to walk down the collections, but before you do, I have a very urgent question. Do you think you guys will ever make watches that actually have hands? Very unlikely. Very unlikely um, because you have great houses that I respect uh, that do that very well for uh, either a few decades or a few centuries. That's not the point. But you know, we're not doing. We're not going to do a watch with hands, which will be uh, cooler than uh, you know. You take a nice version. you know, it's it's their game. They do it. They do that very well. It, it would be very pretentious for us to try to do uh, better than they do. What we can do is, is you know, what we do with with different ways of displaying time. We do that with rings. We have many more ideas uh, to come to do it differently, uh, and um, and so. Uh, so that's uh, well, that's that's enough for us, I would say. Okay, I'm sorry. One more urgent bonus no, question. I am a jeweler as well, Diamantaire, crazy about diamonds. Yeah. I didn't have the guts to wear a diamond watch yet. I, you know that I'm in love with Trilobe. Yeah. Um, I already picked my personal piece, so <laughs> it's a it's a matter of time that I will have one. But I saw the new. Une folle journée diamant. Yeah. Stunningly done, beautifully done. But what blew me away is the hour numbers, the markers of the hours on the diamonds. 
did you guys laser engrave them or is it printed? Uh, we, are, we are very snobbish. Um, so <laughs> for, for us, it was a, a, a very interesting exercise because it's the first watch that we developed fully in-house um, uh, and that we conceived and that we, we, we manufactured. Uh, we got, of course, the help of, of, of partners in, in Paris to do notably the, 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 the sourcing of the diamonds, the reshaping of all the diamonds, and the the setting of the diamond, which was a, which was a proper nightmare, as you can expect, because uh, we usually use titanium for for our rings, and here titanium was way too heavy, so we had to find something else, uh, which was not very easy to set afterwards. And we have that that type of invisible setting that we wanted to have, so so that that, that was a challenge. Um, the way we so the, this piece. It does indicate time, of course, but that's not the, the initial goal. The goal is, is to, to have a, say a, a little piece of art on the wrist, a little piece of moving jewelry on the wrist. It does indicate time. The way we do that is that we have a, a very talented person whose name is Philippe Jacquin Ravo. He's based in Lyon, in France, and he's, he's, um, he's a true artist that um, uh, is, a, is a miniaturist painter so he can paint with a uh, you know a little hair of a beaver, I would say, <laughs> on, uh, on, uh, on on very tiny stuff. And so he did uh, hand paint each and every of the numbers on the table of the diamonds. Paint, you say? By right, hand painted. And what material does he use for the paint? Ah, uh, it's it's I, I think it's a no, it's a normal. You know, can you say varnish uh, varnish paint? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Okay. So it's 140 degrees afterwards. And that's it. Amazing. I uh, I can't wait to see it in real life. So now I'm going to shut up. <laughs> and please walk us through the collection in chronological order, please. We have three key collections, uh, always based on the principle that uh, time is moving and uh, and the indicator of time is uh, is fixed. Our, our first collection is the Le Matino, which means the, the dawn breakers. Or literally the morning in French. It's this idea of the three moving rings that will uh, that are eccentric, which is a true technical challenge because uh, having concentric rings would be much more easier. But we also to have them eccentric because it, or for the plain and simple reason that it looked cool this way. Uh, and uh, so we have three rings: hours, minutes, and seconds, from from the bigger to the smaller rings, that will turn all of them counterclockwise. That's our first collection. Uh, our second collection is them La Nuit Fantastique, so a fantastic night. Um, by the way, the, the, the first collection is, is based on the book by a French poet named René Char, whose book was named Les Matino. Uh, the second is based on a, on a, book, uh, on a book written by um, Stephen Zweig, Fantastic Night. Uh, and uh, this one is, I would say, a bit more classic in terms of display. Uh, even though, of course, it doesn't have any hands, uh, and you have a little aperture to, to show the show the minutes, it's it's a more classical watch in in the technical sense as well, because you have a guilloche and the seconds dial as well, and, uh, and a lot of empty space to create beauty, because the the whole right part of the watch is completely empty. And last year we launched our third collection named Une Folle Journée that we talked about in its diamond version, which is really 
our first collection, Limetino, that we exploded into 3D uh, under a gigantic bubble uh, bubble dome. Uh, it's it's a, it's a little uh, it's a little crazy piece. I'm wearing it right now, actually. Uh, it, it's a Dune version, and it's uh, uh, well, it's it's uh, it's a new love for me. I must say. Um, a, a very wearable actually because it's a 40.5 millimeter. All, all of our watches come in 40.5 or 38.5 for the two first collections, and we make them in titanium, so super light. And uh, and we have uh, I would say spin off the two first collections, which are which are them secret, uh, for which we ask for each of our clients when when they go for this watch, we ask them to give us a date a time and a location of an important moment of their life. So, you know, a birthday, a graduation, a first kiss, something that, you know, is, is key to you. And we will put the starry sky corresponding to this exact moment of their life on the dial so that each watch in the world will be unique because each sky pattern will be unique to a certain moment and, and, and time and, and location. And, and we call it secret because you can show it to everybody and if you don't tell the secret that is behind it, nobody will know what's the secret. And and it's really the way I envision true luxury, which is a luxury for yourself and, and true personalization. It's it's a watch that tells your story and, and you know not the story of a, a guy who went to the moon or won a, a car race, which is cool. Uh, but I think personalization has to go you know much further than this. Do you think that there's going to be more personalization in the future? Do you think this is something that the industry is moving towards? Or do you think that it is something that will always remain a slight niche? I, I don't think so. You, you could not imagine the number of emails we receive every day, every hour, for guys who want, you know, I would like to have this dial made like this, with type of typo, of font, sorry, with, you know, everybody... We're living in in an era or where by you know you you want to show your differentiation, um, your your difference, and which which I fully understand. I'm convinced of that. Um, the key is that the, the logistic behind it is quite complex. Uh, if you want to, you know, some guy want to have a blue dial with uh, green numbers and whatever. Uh, there, there, are, there are two things. The first thing is that sometimes it's the demands are lead to watches that, you know, do not fit our, our standards in terms of, uh, of aesthetics. Uh, and the other thing is that in terms of logistics, you, you cannot imagine, but it, it's really complex, actually. It's not just assembling, you know, two or three different dials. It's starting a production line or stopping a production line to start a specific project and, you know, cleaning all the galvanoplastic baths. And so it's, it's personalization is is very complex and at the same time the demand for it has never been that strong and I'm, I'm convinced about it so the way we do it through the secret watch is uh, almost manageable in terms of logistics even though it's 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 a long process uh, but there are other ways to do it we we will do it in the in the in the next years uh, to bring to the market other ways to do what I call true personalization again not you know, just an engraving on your case back, which is important, but that uh, which can be important. But that's to me the just the basis of the of the pyramid. You you need to go further than that. And there are other, uh, I would say, smart ways to personalize 
an object to tell the story of its owner without being, you know, a, a logistical nightmare as well. And do you think you've figured out a way you can do that without sacrificing the brand's design code? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. we have a, a few, uh, several other ways to do it that we, we haven't displayed yet, but to, to do yeah, real personalization. It sounds like you have an enormous community already aware of your existence and all the good work you're doing. But what I'm interested in knowing is what the most effective community building strategy for Trillab has been. Was it something online? Was it more physical events? Was it print media, for example? How did you get this following? It's a mix, I would say. Uh, we never invested a dime in uh, digital, which... Uh, which is a strategy we will keep doing. Well, when I say that, it is that we never bought followers, you know, or invested in the, on the influencers. Uh, that's something we, we've never done, and I hope we'll never do it. Um, because in the end, our best influencers are the people who, who proudly wear their watches. And, and that's, uh, you know, I always have this story of a, of a client at a dinner where everybody was wearing, a, you know, a, a 7-Eleven, cool, you know, cool watches, I would say. And the only watch that went around the table was his watch. Because we have people super proud of what they have uh, with a watch which is, you know, super spoilable as well. And that's, that's I think, what would make our, our community quite strong. Um, and we, we, do, we do invest a bit in print media, uh, but only in France. So... Um, I wouldn't say it's our first vector. So you never invested a dime in digital. Do you have any media partnerships at all with any of the major media outlets, such as Hodinkee or a blog to watch? But for example, Hodinkee, we it's 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 a different type of. Um, uh, for example, last week we launched with Hodinkee a limited edition of thirty pieces of our uh, new fantastic uh, new fantastic collection. Uh, with a guilloché dial, uh, and that that has been, you know, it's 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 an interesting partnership for us because it, it gives us a super coverage by a great media as well as a, as a way to yeah, to display our products and to, and to sell our products as well. I remember that you also did a collab with Revolution, if I'm not mistaken. You did it only watch, yeah. Are there more collabs in the pipeline, and do they work well for you? They do work pretty well. It's very interesting, and then we had a we had a crazy demand for the for the piece that we launched last week, yeah, last Friday. It was uh, quite impressive, uh, and um, and to see the, the the community behind that, um, we it's it's funny in collaboration as well. I think we could do this year we could do about thirty five collaborations. Um, to me. Uh, it, it, again, it's a, it's a brand development choice. We have we know brands that do a, a collab every two three weeks. Uh, that's a way to do it. I personally, I don't think it's a it's a good thing to do. Um, we are limiting ourselves uh, to I would say one every year. It's it's good. Uh, the risk to me is that otherwise you dilute your your product line. And, you know, why do you do it with him or her and not me? And so that's, that's our rule. We, we, we try to, we do limit that. And talk us uh, through pricing, please. I remember you guys, when you started, 
you came in under 10K. Now, obviously, with uh, the inflation going on in the world, if I'm not mistaken, your entry level in euro, including VAT, is just above 10K. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then you, that's for titanium. And then you go up, if you go to the different model, it's about 23 and a half, I believe. Absolutely. Yeah, a bit below that. Uh, yeah, a little bit different and a half, absolutely, with taxes for the in full journey. Uh, up to, of course, the diamond watch, which is uh, slightly more pricey. Um, uh, but this has been our strength as well, is that we've always been convinced that you can do high-end watchmaking, well-made, homemade, uh, with, a, with a proper um, you know, touch, and that, that you, you can see the product is super different, at, at a price that makes sense. And do you see lobe in the future going down in a price bracket is that the ambition or you set the mark and there's only one way and that's up we're already struggling so much to produce to be honest um uh, that the it wouldn't make sense for us to you know to to try to do products at uh, at uh, three thousand euros five thousand we I, I we don't have the ambition to do volume to do large volumes we won't to be low brand, to be able to produce a bit more, of course. But, um, you know, doing uh, watches at uh, three, 5,000 euros, you need to do s- several thousand watches per year to, to, to make it. That's a whole logistics. That's a, that's a whole new world of, of, of issues coming up. Uh, I think we have enough on the plate. And um, so we, we want to keep that's our strength. We want to keep a, you know, a fair price for, for all of our watches, especially um, to allow people who, you know, who love independent watchmaking, who want to have something different, but who are not you know, rich as, uh, as Cresus, be able to, to buy that. Uh, that's why we have these, these, these collections. Uh, but we're also exploring ways to, uh, you know, creative ways that will lead to, to higher prices. So our dear listeners, if you're on the fence or you're going to intrigued by this episode, don't sit on the fence. Get going because the waiting lists are already six to 12 months, I believe. Yeah, but that, more, more 12 than six. Okay. So you've heard it from the man. Go do your homework, T-R-I-L-O-B-E.com or find them on Instagram, Trilobe Watches. So the handle. Um, I think that maybe we should wrap it up here and get you back on the show again please Gauthier thank you so much with pleasure thank you so much for your time and Rob nobody does the outro better than you so the mic is yours <laughs> yeah thank you very much for your time it was really fascinating to hear your insights into the company and the industry in general if you'd like to ask us any questions about this episode or get involved in future episodes then please contact us maybe on Instagram I'm there at Rob Nuds R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S Alon can be found at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. You can contact both of us via our emails, either Rob or Alon at therealtime.show or via the contact form on the website www.therealtime.show. Please like, follow, subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends. We'll be back next week. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking.